But on that note, welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, the podcast where basically a customer, myself, John Parrott, uh, steals away a few of the workers at his friendly local game shop to talk about all the nerdy things that he just needs to get off his chest. Uh, again, I've managed to trap uh, one of our big dogs, which is Jamie, manager. Hey, everybody. But with us today for the first time is Jessica, another gameologist at Red Raccoon. Jessica, what would you say your specialties are in the store? Oh, my specialties are definitely the the whole back section for paints and focusing on a lot of the Warhammer models. Um, I got kind of dragged away for about a half an hour today to talk to a couple of customers about our various Age of Sigmar armies. Um, I also lead the painting club, and so I'll spend a lot of time talking to folks about their, their whiz kids, miniatures, how to paint those, uh, go through that process. And I think I've been moved down to like the third or fourth tier Dice Goblin, because I'm pretty sure Ryan's got me beat out on that. I feel like Dice Goblin is just, it's more like an infection you get than necessarily a job that you have. Like, it is. once you now have gob- Dice Goblin capabilities, that's what you do. Yeah, and I mean, admittedly, in my household, uh, my, my boyfriend and I were talking about it this morning, that it's less about being a Dice Goblin, but more about being like a gaming dragon or crow. Because I've got all of my dice, I've got all of my paints from Citadel, I've got some army painter paints, I've collected almost all of the Turbo Dork paints, and then I, I don't have a pile of shame any longer, I have a closet or a room of shame. Um, <laughs> That's so, really how nerds evolve, it's just it that really instead is. of piles, we devote rooms to our closets. We, we do, we do, and I just got uh, my Bones 5 Kickstarter minis in from Reaper, and so I've got an entire box of unpainted plastic that I've got to figure out what to do with. And there's so many, like, cool different figures from that that I'm looking forward to, to doing something with in the near future. And by the near I still future, haven't touched my Bones 4 stuff, so you're, you, oh yeah. you've even got more than I do then at this point. Yeah, so the near future is probably within the next 5 to 10 years for well, me. And we were just point. talking, too, earlier that Jessica just completed her master's degree, which Woo! is awesome. Thank you. And so now you've got time to actually go back to painting again. Yes, I don't have to worry about having uh, deadlines for essays and stuff like that, so I can actually focus on painting, which has been put to a side for the last two years. Yes, I know you worked very, very hard on it, and it's awesome that you completed it. But you've still been hoarding the things you want to paint like a dragon during those two years, oh, correct? So do you just absolutely. sleep on it like a pile at night, or...? I, I, let it, I let it all flow around me in my office. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of chaos. I've got um, work from home that I do outside of Red Raccoon. Um, and yeah, my, my whole office is just starting to come in on me, just slowly <laughs> encroaching. The walls are shrinking in and eventually it's just going to be like me, my computer, my fish tank, and just a sea of miniatures all around me. Now have, have other people seen all that stuff or have you managed to keep it off of like zoom calls and stuff? So I have, one time I had an interview and I moved my, my rack of WizKids stuff off. So it was just a blank wall. Um, but a lot of times if I am in any video conferences or anything like that, my, my wall of WizKids minis and my paints are in the background. Um, one of the frequent Red Raccoon customers, uh, Fiverr, they came over to my house the other day and they said it was like walking into Christmas. <laughs> like they just looked around, they saw like my whole table of paints 
and they're like, oh my gosh, Jess, where did this all come from? And I'm like, this came from me working for Red Raccoon for the last two years. Because there's no escaping when you work there, right? Oh no. no. Oh no. I I don't leave the store without buying a couple of things for every shift. Well, seeing how it's so hard for you to leave the store, you would probably know what's been going on this week at the store, or at least some idea, correct? Some idea, some of it. So. so what are the big events that have been going on? So I know yesterday we did the day of play in Uptown Normal. Yep, that so was that crazy. Was, that was something that Jamie got the, the chance to participate in. I did see the video on Facebook of uh, Jeff give, doing Goblet Gobblers, uh, yes. and then I reached out and said, that was a really cute video, and he explained to me that that was like three and a half hours of Goblet Gobblers, and he was just kneeling the whole entire time. I kept trying to get him to sit down, and he was just, he's like, he can't, he didn't think he could be as close to the kids, so he was kneeling on the curb of the, of, of the sidewalk, on the curb between the sidewalk and the street, the entire time, playing Goblet Gobblers with the kids. Now, when... Do you need to get him, like, knee pads or something like that, like you would have for playing hockey? Uh, I think actually sports? more like the the knee pads that the the professional tile laying guys wear those kind of real solid thick padded ones I think those would be better uh, but Rhea and I just drug the chair closer to the curb and we were just bellied right up to the table too and when we took our turns playing with the kids it didn't really seem to be an issue so I think Jeff just was being obstinate and I Jeff being obstinate. <laughs> I feel like the seven people that listen to this podcast probably have a good chance of knowing Jeff, and everyone just saying, "Yeah, that sounds like him." Yeah, yeah, that checks out. But he That's... did take he did take the solid the first three hours of he played nonstop, and then I finally kicked him out and made him go get some lunch, and uh, he went and got a calzone at uh, DP Doe's and came back and he sat next to me and jeered me as I was losing to the kids. But, you know, I was trying to make the kids have fun and feel good about themselves. Because sure Jeff are. mercilessly just beat them down. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a ton of fun. I don't even know how many kids were out there, but we never stopped playing Goblet Gobblers. Between the three of us that were there, it was nonstop. We just had the one giant set from the store, and we played for five hours straight of Goblet Gobblers. I think that after first hour of Goblet Gobblers, mercy is gone. Like, no matter who walks up to the table, you just unleash. Uh, I actually bought that for my nephew, and, and he's a little young to fully grasp the concept of tic-tac-toe, uh, but he's just loving it all the time. I totally see why it's a number one sell at, at the store. So Just, yeah. just the, the Russian nesting doll part of it, where you're, you're having your guys eat the other guys. Like, that by itself is a lot of fun for kids. Yeah, but it, 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 it's, um, it was good marketing for the store. It's a lot of parents that are there that have young kids that may or may not know, actually most of them did not know that we existed, right? It's uh, That's the constant struggle of small businesses. How do we get people to know we exist? And um, they most we got a lot of looks like, where are you? Where, what's going on? How long have you been there? Are you new? I said, well, we've been downtown for 14 years at this point. They're like, how did I not know this? I'm like, I don't know. And it makes my marketing budget <laughs> cry when you say it like that, right? So, I love how you're always like apologetic when you talk about this. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why you don't know about us. Really, honestly, it's we're sorry for we're, you not knowing. Yeah, We try, though. We really do. And, I mean, 
have, have you talked about the, the holiday catalog? Because the meeting after you told me about that, I swear I had a dream that the holiday catalogs came out early and that, like, I was having to be called in and work, like, every day of the week to help out with that because people were so excited for those catalogs. So we have talked about it. Yes. And yes. it's, um, I, I have the final proof, like, the, the files ready to go to the printer um, got sent to me yesterday, so Monday. Um, they will go to the printer, and so that's how close we are at this point. We have, on like draft seven, because a lot of the delay was us never having done this before and having no idea what we're doing and how many things you, can you put on a page and how many words can you put to look with it that, so that it looks good and you don't end up in a microscopic font that nobody can read. And there was a lot of uh, naivety on my part that really slowed this down quite a bit because our goal was originally to have it to the printers for September 1st and we missed that deadline quite a bit as since we're recording this on what day is today the 25th what are we even on the 26th 26th okay so uh yeah I'm currently it'll get to them on the 27th so 27 days late getting to the printer It, it should still land in people's mailboxes hopefully they get the catalog um sometime in October still so we're still not horribly delayed, but we're a little bit delayed. Yeah. So aside from day of play, I know another thing that's come up is that we've had uh, Magic the Gathering, Midnight Hunt yep. has come out, and that is back on um, Innistrad. Innistrad. Yeah, so that's that's perfect for, like, spooky season because it's the, the werewolves and the vampires – and it's, it's really close to home for me because that's where I started playing Magic was after a previous Innistrad set. That's been a lot of years ago now that I'm thinking Don't, about it. Yep, the older you get, the more you learn not to do the math. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason to do it. There's no. no good that comes from it. There's really not. Not at all. Yeah, um, yeah, no, Innistrad, uh, Innistrad, we had the pre-release last weekend, and then on Friday of this weekend, the full release came out. With, yeah, uh, Midnight Hunt, werewolves, zombies, uh, vampires, and everything that goes bump in the night, because Innistrad is basically Transylvania, right? Yes. And it's there's a really cool storyline of how we got from the last time we were Innistrad to this time that I'm not going to spoil for anybody, but there there's always a story that connects all the magic sets together that you can just go to wizards.com and read there. And um, so that's pretty cool. And then it's leading us into the next Magic set, which comes out in early November with the pre-release weekend. I think it's Halloween weekend. i got to double-check the calendar. And that's uh, Crimson uh, Crimson Invasion. And that is, it's all vampires, right? It's, it's, we're, we're wrapping up this storyline that's going on, and it's going to be way more vampires than we've had so far, which is hard to imagine because we had a darn lot of vampires at this point. So Yes. Now, did the new D&D supplement Feywild come out this week as well? It did, Tuesday. And how's that been received so far in the store? Um, really good, really good. It's interesting that, uh, you know, so we've talked about all the supply chain issues before, uh, and we're still having supply chain issues. We got fewer copies of the alternative cover, so 
by the time people hear this, there might not be alternative copy uh, covers available anymore, which is this really cool Displacer Beast the design on the cover of it. Um, so if you want one of those, you should hopefully you've already gotten it, or you should call and get one right away because we got less than half of what we've gotten for previous books for that alternative cover. There will be reprints and plenty of the normal cover, um, which is still pretty fun. Uh, but it's been received very well, and I'll, I think one of the cooler things that they did this time that we've talked about before is uh, you can go through. This is a kind of a combination of um, encyclopedia about the realm of fairy and the plane of fairy and, and the Feywild, but also there's a really well-written adventure in there, and in that adventure you can go through the entire adventure without ever entering combat a single time. You huh. can talk your way through the entire book, and it's its its own challenge to see can you do that, because D&D at its nature, you know, it was evolved off of Chainmail originally. It was a miniatures tactics game. That's where we, how it evolved from. So combat has always been an essential portion of the game. And now we have an entire adventure written where you could potentially go through it and just do theater of the mind and talk your way through the thing without ever actually enter combat. So it's a, its own special challenge. That's fascinating, especially with so many people oh, who criticize D&D and usually go to these other systems because of their more narrative dynamics and less combat-heavy rule sets. So that's really interesting. I also found that there are uh, carnival games now as well that are included in the set. And well, the, the setup is that there's a, it's a traveling carnival that moves from town to town to town, and the carnival has oh, come wow. to your town, and that's the portal into the realm of fairy and i don't want to spoil it for anybody but you know because we you know we sell the book right so right right right. um but it's it's really interesting that they give a ton of details on and you there's also new creatures you can play you can play new character classes so you could play like rabbit folk if you wanted to so i was joking with somebody yesterday that i was going to make bugs bunny right because bugs bunny could theoretically now be a chaotic neutral or a chaotic good character theoretically you could also make Daffy Duck at that point too and have as a nemesis right absolutely so if you wanted to go down that bent and go full Looney Tunes you could do it (laughs) I I just gotten a podcast idea for Red Raccoon that we might have to go down now just the entire staff being Looney Tunes characters in the D&D world oh god oh Oh, no that's I don't know what would happen that would be absolute pandemonium Elmer Fudd would be a blood hunter I think um Porky Pig is a wizard, right? Like, that makes sense. That, I mean, that explains, like, the, the quick speech. Exactly. But then he always stumbles over his words, and it's so, an yeah, orco the, situation. Yeah. yeah. Foghorn, Leghorn, Bard. Yeah. I, I say, I say they are, child. I say. <laughs> I could totally see that. But, yeah, the, <laughs> the prospect of having a campaign where it's all... Um, interactive, it's all something that you can work through. That's that's actually super exciting for me. Um, I got my start into the world of, of nerdiness through Vampire the Masquerade, and that is that is a system that heavily, heavily punishes you for combat. It is very brutal, so you want to try to talk your way through things. You want to try to skill your way through things. So moving that into into D and D, and that's that's become a preferred play style for me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I end up playing 
skill monkeys or high charisma characters so that I can try to talk my way out of things. Yeah. Um, it's just, if only Jessica had the kind of charisma that the character on the sheet has, because sometimes <laughs> I can say some really boneheaded things. We all need modifiers in life. Let's oh, just we do. face it. We absolutely um, do. I will say that the, uh, this, this is something that's even leaking out to other facets of geekdom because in video games now especially they're trying to create games where there's no kill scenarios where you can go through an entire game and possibly just knock people out or just be stealthy the whole entire time never encounter an enemy so it's really interesting to me that this non-violence concept is trying to come more and more to the the space of role-playing because i know that we've seen it a lot in board games too i mean euro games are pretty much the exact same thing correct where you're trying to not interfere with anybody else and trying not to cause conflict well not necessarily that you're not trying to cause conflict but but you definitely most of them you can't knock anybody out of the game right so you get like a an american-based game ameri-game or ameritrash depends on the phrase you want to use like monopoly where you have to knock everybody out of the game to win or risk or any of those kind of games it's all about knocking somebody out of the game and in a euro-based game you know everybody's in it to the very end but it's just all usually about who got more points there still could be points of conflict and points of contention especially in worker placement games when somebody keeps taking the space that you really need and they know you need it and they're hate, you know, hate drafting <laughs> on you or something. You know, I mean, um, that's definitely a tactic that I have taken to win in games before, maybe against people sitting at the table with me right now. I've, I've maybe maybe seen that and experienced that some. My the, burn the marks from times. you have, have healed for the most part, so obviously we need to play again. Speaking a little bit more of games like that, though, uh, a lot of the big ones are Catan and Ticket to Ride, and there's actually been a bit of a shakeup in the industry uh, announced this week, and the fact that the publisher of those games, Asmodee, is going up for sale. Well, not just going up for sale. Rumor says sold. Oh, it's it's completely done now. Yeah, see well, that. or at least a commitment. Yes. Um, Asmodee uh, got bought. Well, let's look out. Let's look at the history. So we had a bunch of independent um, uh, publishers that are out there. Probably one of the biggest ones being Fantasy Flight Games gets acquired by Asmodee, and they have uh, they're a French company originally, and they have Asmodee North America. That's who we interact with. And they were on a streak for years buying some of the best games that are on the market. For a while, I remember one time looking at like a, a published list of the top 10 hottest selling board games, and Asmodee controlled t uh, 8 of the 10. And so they were the, the dominant powerhouse out there. Of course, new publishers have come out, and things have changed a little bit along the way, and they bought some of those guys too. Um, but Asmodee got acquired... Oh God, was it 2018, 2019 by another uh, group called Pi? I think it was Pi International or the Pi Group or something like that. And they were basically just like a venture fund, um, and they bought them. And now they have sold Asmodee, according to the rumors. Um, they have sold Asmodee to um, Goldman Sachs. Which is, I think, Goldman oh, Sachs. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're obviously they're enormous, right? Yeah. They're they're one of the biggest companies on the planet, and apparently they bought Asmodee North America from the Pi Group. Or I might be getting that name wrong. I think, but P P 
PIA, yeah, I think you're PIA, right. PIA, okay. So just to give you a little reference of what we're looking at here numbers-wise, uh, apparently Asmodee was originally bought from another company for uh, to the one that is currently selling it for about 143 million euros. Uh, they bought it for 1.2 billion euros, and now the current price tag that's being put on Asmodee today is 2.35 billion with a B. Oh, sorry. 1.71 billion euros. It, because I was looking at the American number. In the American number, it's $2.35 billion. Wow. Is what Asmodee is being said to be worth on the market. Which Game companies are getting to be big business. It it's really huge. is. And the fact that it was picked up by Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs. That sounds delicious. I might delicious. be hungry right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the fact that they're the ones that picked that up is is massive. Um, I mean, I I would only be more impressed if it was like Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah somebody so. even bigger than Goldman Sachs, right? Yeah. I mean, there's not many people like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, what's the strategy? I mean, who knows? The we know that the entire board game industry has been on a roll for you know it's. Uh, it's at least done double-digit growth annually for, I want to say, it's the last nine years. So we've seen double-digit growth annually. And last year, when every event on the planet got canceled by COVID and everybody was stuck at home on their screens for work all day long on the Zoom screen, be that kids or adults, um, that by the time that the day was over, nobody wanted to do anything on a screen anymore which uh, nobody's a strong word, but right. most people didn't want anything to do with the screen anymore. Uh, a lot of people turned to um, outdoor activities. You couldn't buy, you can't buy a bike last year if your you know, life depended on it. There was just none to be bought. Um, a lot of the golf courses reported their best years that they've ever had because everybody was looking for anything else to do. And we saw it in the wintertime in Illinois, board games just went crazy. Mm-hmm. And we've been having, you know, um, supply issues of not only can we get them, but uh, Ultra Pro put out a number that they, they're having issues trying to produce accessories. And they were like, you know, we want everybody to know that right now we've already produced 185% of what we'd sold for the entire year of 2019. And there's still nothing available on the shelves from Ultra Pro. So um, if you're going to sell, sell at the top of the market, right? Right. Yeah. And, and beggars the question of, are we actually at the top of the market? Have we seen it yet? Because now people have gone, hey, we only played board games during the pandemic because there was nothing else to do, but kind of like it. And yeah. it's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. And it, it becomes a like a family tradition yeah. or, you know, a, a friend group tradition uh, where you get together with your friends every other weekend and everybody sits down and, and pulls out a board game. Um, that's Imagine this is really common with me and my friend group that we will go over and sit down and um, we're almost all the way through the second season of Cthulhu Death May Die. So that's that's one. And we we have to keep trying before we move to the next episode. And I think we're at episode four of the second season. And each of those. So the first season and the second season each have six episodes in those. Um, With just one of the bad guys, or have you done all uh, the bad guys? We've alternated through the bad guys randomly. Okay. 
So yeah. we've yeah. spoken of Death May Die multiple times on this podcast, yeah. simply oh, yeah. because it's my number one game of all time. Oh, yeah. imagine that. And There's a lot, shocking, of, right? a lot of fans for that game, um, yeah. and I, I think I have played it less than all of you, and I'm like, ooh, I'll, I'll play that game whenever you guys want. But I know Alexis is, loves it, and Jeff's in, you're in, John, yep. and, and your wife is just, she's all in for it, too. And The amount of replayability and the way each mission moves a little bit differently and the items you get is just stunning. You walk away with a story, which I think is one of the powerful things about board games and why it's been so a, a growth industry. Because not only can you start having stories about the games you play, but... We're starting to see it also go more into like the genres that we're used to as well. From you know, Asmodee owning Fantasy Flight, which gives whoever owns Asmodee access to basically Star Wars and Marvel wow. and Marvel and uh, Cthulhu mythos in a very popular format. And so Goldman Sachs is kind of buying into these other industries because Disney's not going to really spend too much time playing. Make, probably making a board game per se with Marvel, especially if they know they can go to somebody that does it really well and can make something that's compelling. And just at Gen Con, there was announced they're doing a Outer Rim expansion for Star Wars, uh, as well as uh, some of the news that we're actually going to get into next, jumping off with Cthulhu, is that apparently Fantasy Flight wants to start making their very first legacy game. See, that's cool. That is so cool. It is. So for anybody listening who doesn't know, a legacy game, there are there are a bunch of them on the market, but they are they tend to be cooperative games, not always, but mostly cooperative games that decisions you make playing the game once will affect all future games that you play in some fashion. Sometimes you destroy parts of the game, sometimes you open up and unlock new parts of the game. You could, um, you know, Risk Legacy was the very first one, and you wrote on the board, right? You claimed areas and territories that for every time you played in the future, you got bonuses because you wrote on the board, you destroyed parts of the game. And then it's been in a bunch of different iterations. So a uh, Asmodee game would be amazing, yes. right? Around, um, you could do Arkham Horror, which is, I think, where the rumor's coming from. It's yes. Arkham Horror first, but... Eldritch Horror, Mansions of Madness as a legacy game would be awesome. I mean, what about a Star Wars legacy game? Exactly. What like, about a what about a Marvel legacy game? I mean, which is that's what I always hoped that Marvel Champions would kind of turn into. I think that they Fantasy Flight has done a great job with Arkham the Card Game and giving you an almost legacy experience where you play each chapter and you get a different... You might get different cards depending on what challenges you tried to overcome or what damages you took might influence you later on. So it's always had that hint of it. And I was getting really scared because news before Gen Con was they had said they were not planning any new expansions for Mansion of Madness at this time, mm -hmm. which was shocking to me. But they didn't say they were done making them. They just didn't have any planned. And they were very firm in how they were saying that. And now seeing how Arkham, the, the card game, is getting new big box sets that have everything you need just for one campaign, I think there might have been a huge shift over at Fantasy Flight in what they're trying to do and going towards more of this long-term, we want to provide games for people that are going to play it, like your friend group, Jessica, you know, five, six, seven times oh, to yeah. get through it. Well, and it, it, takes, it takes some of what you get with playing a tabletop RPG like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder 
and you move that into a board game and you move it into such a way that you can have like a consistent story going on with that legacy game but without the work of having to make somebody the DM and make somebody plan all of that. Yep. Everybody can sit at the table as equals, and you can move from one game to the next, and what happened, you know, the first time you played through carries over to the next and so forth. So that's something I always have uh, have liked about the idea of legacy games. Well, and a bonding experience as Absolutely. you're playing it, too. You know, if you talk to people, like one of the most famous ones, legacy games that are out there is Pandemic Legacy. <laughs> and everybody that has played it will be like, oh, I just wish we could go back and replay April. I'm not going to say what happens in April, but everybody that you talk to that has played through it is like, oh, my gosh, April, April, you know. So and I just built up a bunch of hype for April for people, <laughs> I hope, you know, and um, – uh, but the people that have played it are nodding along right now, and they're like, oh, gosh, I can't believe that happened. So that shared experience and that story that you were talking about, John, I mean, you know, Cthulhu as a has H.P. Lovecraft, right, wrote all those books so long ago. It's all in, in, in free licensing, I mean, open yes. license, right, for everything. So anybody could make a Cthulhu game, and many people have. But over the years, Fantasy Flight has done such a good job of building a story around the individual characters that yes. they have chosen to feature that people love and know those characters and their their quirks and their idiosyncrasies and their their their, their benefits but also their failings as well at the same time and so what you could do to craft that story moving forward you could do a lot of really powerful things it's that's actually one of the cooler pieces of news coming out of Gen Con, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to those characters, I can tell you my house is an Arkham house. And so my wife always tries to play Jenny Barnes, uh, the dual-wielding socialite. Uh, and in every game you can find her, and she's a little bit different, but the mechanics always lend to you this idea that she's a socialite. She has access to resources and money. So no matter what game you play, if there's a resource, she's going to have ample amount of it. Uh, my usual favorite is Dexter Drake, a stage magician who learned real magic. So oh, wow. he's a lot of fun. And in every game, he's just a little bit different how that really plays out. And being able to you know, possibly take these characters into a legacy format where you, you always hear their backstories whenever you open up the game. And there's always a little blurb about what's going on. And uh, Fantasy Flight has been trying to build more upon that. And they've released individual books for characters where you can read a, a little bit of their origin story or find out a little bit more about their future. But really, they have left it open to this being your character and how they behave as your choice. And to play a legacy game with a character that you know, they might have things that are attached to them. Like, I can take Dexter Drake, my wife can take Jenny Barnes, and we can move through a story with them, not just have to repeat their intro, but actually move forward. The, the Spider-Man homecoming idea to me, in which we didn't have to do the origin again. We can just we can go just from move it. forward. Yeah. We can just do it. Yep, and it's build up more. It's very appealing to me. Yeah, and, and um, Jesse got excited because... One of his favorite legacy games is Betrayal Legacy, which was, yeah. of course, based on Betrayal at House on the Hill. And he has nothing but rave reviews to talk about that and the experience and the story that they, his, his group that played through it had together while they were moving through and completing that legacy game. So, so I know he's already pretty stoked about this one, too. So That's one I've been meaning to pick up is Betrayal Legacy because that's one of my favorite board games, um, just sitting down and playing, especially as we get up into, like, 
this time of year as we're, or we're approaching Halloween. Spooky season. Spooky season. Spooky season is the best season to play Betrayal. Yeah. Well, in, in Betrayal Legacy, you play as multiple different generations of the family in that house. So that if you played a lot of Betrayal and the storylines that they give you of what you're playing this game, you learn a lot of the backstory as to how those cards came to exist and why those cards exist because you're playing through multiple generations that have lived in that house. So you'll, if you like the regular Betrayal House on the Hill, you will love Betrayal Legacy because you're going to learn those backstories of what's going on. I've always loved Betrayal, but I feel like sometimes it's a bit of Russian roulette when you play with newer game players because you basically are saying, okay, we're going to play this game and we're going to play the first half of it and we're all going to do it together. And then halfway through, randomly, one of us is going to have to walk into another room with a different rule book and read through it and try and understand what's going on. And if, uh, if the person is not a strong player of board games, that can be really nerve-wracking whenever the betrayal comes, because what if the guy that doesn't play board games often, or what if the girl that only plays every once in a while gets the, the, the betrayal card, and then all of a sudden you can't help them? You can't look over their shoulder. They're just gone. But at times it's also allowed some of the most amazing elements of a person finally, now they know what they have to do, and they have to try it, so they know they're not going to have help. And they finally be brave, and they're bold, and they actually stand out and do the game. Yeah. Those are some so. of the best stories I've had with Betrayal yeah. is, is doing that. It's also um, the, the house rule, not because we choose this, but because this is what happens, is every time we have had a new player at Betrayal, they are always the one who gets to be the traitor. Really? Just pure coincidence. It has happened every single time. Wow. That's some black magic in your game right it, there. It yeah. is. It is. And so that's the, the game board knows it. Yeah. You know, I, w- I was thinking, though, I'm going I'm to segue us back a little bit to where yeah. we were at. You know, another uh, IP that would make an amazing legacy game is Legend of the Five Rings, which yes. Asmodee currently has right now. That would You could do some really amazing stuff with a legacy-style game there, too. Because Asmodee, if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're they're tuned in. They're one of oh, the yeah. eight people. They're one of the eight. Uh, this is very underground. Like, only the top only level. Only the cool exactly. kids no. <laughs> But I would say, that's right, because the, the card game itself, you would, like, banish clans and mm-hmm. cards, correct, as you played. In the original, yeah, when, when it first came out. Yes, absolutely. Ooh, uh, other news. Another awesome one that would be fun, too. I'm just, some, some spitballing ideas. Go, go, because, go. Um, uh, Oh, wait, no, that doesn't work. Crud. I was going to say, um, there was just an intellectual property filing for some stuff around Netrunner. But you know who it was? It wasn't Asmodee. It was Wizards of the Coast that actually did really? some IP work around Netrunner recently because that's where the game originally came from. It was originally a Wizards of the Coast game, and then it went over to Fantasy Flight. They ran with it, made it amazing games with it. And people were wondering what's going on if there was like a certain time limit on that agreement and it's going back to Wizards now and what's going on. I, I need to do some more research on that one. I'll, I'll stop talking about it for now. Now that I just piqued everybody's curiosity that like the Netrunner world, um, you know, you go look it up, right? And, and, and email me at, uh, what are we doing? Info at redraccoongames.com if you want to comment on yep. what we're talking about. Send us an email, let us know because I, I, I'm pretty sure I got it right that it's Wizards is doing some IP work on it right now, and it's nobody knows what's going on yet. So it's that's really interesting. Yeah, but that would make Netrunner World would make an awesome legacy game too. So Jamie, I 
normally you're a, a not a monotone person, but you have a very measured control. Right now, I just got to see you excited, which oh, is yeah. great. The, the hand motions. There's only one thing that I've seen you get this excited about before, and that is also talking about He-Man. <laughs> Which is nice. weird because last week we talked about you know GI Joe and and Transformers in that kind of that same era. It was a little yeah. bit after it, and you you didn't have that enthusiasm. But I've talked to you about He Man before, and for some reason it hits a special spot for you, doesn't it? I don't know. I just loved He Man. I as a kid, it was it was uh, you know we so I grew up in the country, and it was a half an hour to forty minute bus ride home every day. And so we would get off the bus, and the bus, um, you know, I lived right off of uh, uh, Route 49, for anybody who lives in Illinois, but we lived in the valley of two hills, and school buses won't drop you off in a valley because of traffic, so they always stopped at the top of one of the hill and dropped us off at the top of the hill. So we would have to sprint down the hill and then up the lane to get home, and it was always this mad dash of can we get home before He-Man started. Right, it was because right. cartoons. We used to have cartoons after school every day. Yes, and most days we would miss um, Transformers. We, we, you know, later we got a VCR. We could record it later and stuff. But um, you know, dating myself, VCRs. We didn't have those when I was, you know, in, in my younger years. So it was a mad dash, and everybody was like, "Why are Jamie and Philip, my, my younger but Philip, <laughs> sprinting down the hill and up the drive to get to this?" And it was, it was mostly to watch He-Man. That's amazing. And He-Man is actually going through a huge revival right now. They they released a Kevin Smith-inspired animated show that kind of is the supposed to be the epilogue of the original cartoon. Mm-hmm. They're doing a new kids cartoon, which I actually indulged in. I was like, I'm going to see what this is about because I've liked kids stuff before, I'll admit it. And it turned out to be really good. They... They updated the characters. They gave it a little bit more of a Power Rangers feel, but the lore and the canon is really good. They they did a, a gender swap on Ram Man, who is now Ram Ma'am. So nice. I haven't watched this yet, so I had never. I did not know that. Yes. So they and all the characterization is actually surprisingly good. Uh, definitely took some liberties from it. But one of the big things that's been coming out in the board game industry is that Simon got a hold of this. Yes. And have been releasing a, a amazing Kickstarter, in my opinion, not just because it's awesome what they're doing, but the way that they're pushing it and revealing things has been spectacular. Have you been following along with this? Not every day. Okay. I, I log in on various days and look, and then just look at this crazy list of all the characters that they have revealed. I mean, and I'm just like, well, who's next? I haven't watched the cartoon in many years. I just have these memories of it. And then every once in a while, somebody will pop up on that list. I'm like, oh, I remember when Faker came in. And I'm like, yep. oh, I forgot about him. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And, and, uh, you reached out to me. There's two He-Man games. There is. But one of them can only be sold in Europe. And so we're not, I'm, I'm, I'm already trying to figure out how to get somebody, one of my friends in England to buy it for me and, and ship it over here to get a copy of it because there's two completely different He-Man games out there. And then Simon, the one being made in the, in the United States, um, is a, it's a uh, like almost like a tactics game. It's like a skirmish game Ooh, using the characters okay. from the. So it's like a points-based skirmish game, whereas the one from Europe is a cooperative game. So two completely different takes on the game, but both of them have minis that just look amazing. I mean, anything cool mini or not, Simon 
yeah. anything they put out, the the minis are just always so gorgeous. Yeah. And so I was I'm, a little worried we were gonna have chibi He-Mans, and it's like we had chibi uh, Marvel characters from Marvel United or an X-Men yep. United. Yep. Right. Not chibi characters. Right. That's, so they they've got their full details. Yeah. So those not are big heads on nice. everybody and. And it's it's very faithful to the original cartoon. So it's not any of the real iterations that have come after it. There was a 2002, I think, show as well. But it is the faithful 1982 kind of big chests, small bottoms kind of. It And it looks just gorgeous. And one of the things they're doing in the Kickstarter, which I think is amazing, is that they have a daily reveal and they have stretch goals. So with the daily reveal... They're always making sure something is hitting my feed. So I've obviously clicked on it, so now I get all the notifications on uh, Facebook and everything about what's going on. So every day there's a new character that they've revealed, and then or a new set, which we'll get into in a second. But then they also do the stretch goals. So I'm being constantly and thankfully bombarded with, oh, you know what? This week we reached the stretch goal, so we're actually going to have a 3D uh, Castle Grayskull. Which is pretty amazing. this set. Oh, man. Because it's one of the... You have, like, an escort mission. You have an attack Castle Grayskull-like set. They have a whole She-Ra set, which is all the characters from She-Ra, good and bad, uh, so that you can incorporate them into the game. They just released uh, the Snake Men, which was kind of like a... It was near the end of the line where basically all the bad guys were snakes from the past in He-Man's lore, and so they were coming back. And that was actually, when I first talked to you about it, Jamie, I saw the Clash for Eternia, which is the UK version, and said, it has so much, and it looks cooperative, and I really wish we were getting that one. I'm sad we're not. And then Simon came out with theirs. I'm like, ah, this kind of just looks a little simple. It looks like they're just going to try and pin me for add-ons down the road. But more and more the campaign's gone on, the more and more I've been impressed with what's there. And there's amazing 3D modeled terrain, which I think is in hex form and could be used in possibly other games as well. It looks a pretty standard size. He's selling me on it right now. He's like, yeah. you, you know that yeah. you know that 3D terrain that you like to collect and hoard? I was we were bringing yeah. that up just earlier. Dragon hoard here. Yeah, that's no, you're that's how. So That's some of this stuff I haven't me. logged in in a few days and seen it, John. I mean, we're we're getting it to the store. For anybody wondering, we will have the He-Man set at the store. We have most Simon sets because I am a collector of most of them. But some of these things, I I missed the announcement of the She-Ra set. I did yep. not even see that that was going to be a thing because I, I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and my sister was really on board with She-Ra. Right? It, it came out a couple of years after He-Man started, and she's two years younger than me and she was really into into Shira when it was first coming out. Oh, so wow. it's you guys can't see it, but we've all whipped oh. out our phones and we're looking at all the stuff. Oh man. I I might have to go in on that just for that Castle Grey skull sculpt. Yeah, well look down lower the, 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 the Wrath set, of Snake Mag mountain set. Oh the man. The rock set, yeah. So even and even though they're hexes, I could see using that on on other games. Oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can any game can be that's a square can you can convert it to hex pretty easy as you go along. No, this is it's going to be cool. It's yeah. it's going to be and then I'm just going to have to figure out like where on my zombie side shelf am I going to make room <laughs> for the He-Man set because I've seen what you call your zombie side shelf and I believe it's more of a table with a bunch of stacks of boxes. Well, so, that's the stuff that I haven't fit in the shelf yet. Oh, that's oh. that. DS 2.0 did just come out. So 2.0 has I not made it grace. into the shelf yet because you know the shelf has 
the original Zombicide, and it's got Black Plague and all of its expansions, and it's got um, Invaders and all of its expansions, and it's also got uh, Massive Darkness, which is another right. CMON game, which is kind of gone by the wayside, but we're getting Massive Darkness 2, the revival of that one, which hopefully will ship soon. I don't even know where Someday. that one's at. Yeah. Um, but we backed that one for the store, too. And so that is all in that shelf, and I've got to figure out how do I get 2.0 Zombicide 2.0 in there with everything else because it's not a shelf; it's actually a case. It's it's five shelves of stuff right now just for those games. And like and a curio cabinet kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. uh, we you know we got an old house. We got I got some built-ins, and it's basically oh. the whole. It's pretty nice. The whole rack and the built-in shelf right there is just miniature stuff from Simon at this point. And going back to what we were talking about last week with you know when you have. G.I. Joe's, you have a plethora of characters because they would just think up a reason like, we need somebody who's really good with cell phones, and all of a sudden you had a G.I. Joe that was all cell phone based. Uh, same with Transformers. He-Man is just one of those things where they were churning out characters left and right and just trying to find whatever could satisfy this huge craving. If you ever want to, there's an amazing documentary about He-Man from the same people that the toys that made us. Yeah. Uh, that really covers the whole entire life cycle of what happened with He-Man, why it exploded, and seeing it now where they're bringing up all these classic characters, it's just impressive to me that they've made this into a Kickstarter that's not only just nostalgic, but also, I feel, relevant to the way Kickstarter should be run. Yeah, and I think you, you know, we talked about last time that, that He-Man, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, and then She-Ra and some other games mm -hmm. were effectively commercials, right? Yep. They were created because they are somebody was already designed a product, and then they created a storyline to integrate that new product into the story. You know, uh, shipwreck would be an example from GI Joe. Yep. You know, oh, oh, we got a sailor. Now we can have boats, and we can have. The, remember the aircraft carrier from GI Joe? USS and that, Flag. That thing was four and a half feet long. It was amazing, and I didn't have one, but my buddy did, and I was also bitterly jealous about that. <laughs> um, but then uh, He Man and and Mask, the one yep. with the cars that kind of transformed, and the people put the helmets on, and those were all toys. They were cartoons driven to sell toys. Nobody ever questioned, why do you need a helicopter that transforms into a jet? You're already flying something. You're already flying something. <laughs> I don't know why that... No, it was just cool, and you just lived with it. <laughs> one you can hover with, the other you've got to go fast with. That is true. That is true. Speaking of things that are just cool, uh, we do have something, as we get into our next segment, which is always, you know, what's in the new hotness. Uh, Jessica actually bought something specifically for us being able to review it here on Also audio. because I needed it to add to my dragon horde. That's fair. Um, yeah, so I picked up, one of the things we had in the new hotness was the deck of many things, and it also has the deck of many fates. So if you're a Dungeons and Dragons player, you've probably heard of the infamous deck of many things. And so we've got a, a physical form to it here, so you're not just rolling against a uh, table. A chart. A chart, yes. Yeah. Um, I think the Deck of Many Things was, I, at least in second edition, I don't know if it was in first edition or not, I don't remember, but I know for certain it was in second edition. Because in this, this box you're looking at, it actually says it's been around for 40 years, so that would put yeah. it back to 1980. Oh, so that's no. technically first edition at that point. I just don't remember it, but... 
And the cards themselves have a kind of a tarot feel with the descriptions of what the card does on them, which I've seen decks of many things before that are just the cards, so that is really helpful. But I think the interesting part is that other segment, which is the deck of many fates. Deck of many fates, right. And so this, uh, to my knowledge, I'm not really up and up on my Dungeons and Dragons lore, but to my knowledge, this is unique to this set, is the deck of many fates. So it is very similar to the deck of many things. You could get something good, you can get something bad. Um, like I just uh, pulled one, Revenant. Resurrect one dead character, one aspect of their personality is permanently changed. So you're bringing in some pet cemetery kind of uh, vibes to, to your character that you get revived. Um, so the way this set is, you've got your full deck of many things, you've got your deck of many fates. You can choose to put them together into being one full card deck. Um, it says here there's... 49 cards, I think it was. 49 cards in total. Um, the Deck of Many Things, or Deck of Many Fates has 27 cards, each with a new power, curse, or opportunity. Yeah, so, so that, you know, the deck of, the original Deck of Many Things, you could get like, your character gets 50,000 gold or jewels, right? And that completely changes what you can do in the game. Or, you know, you could get something like your permanently your your alignment is permanently diametrically opposed. So you be, if you were a neutral, if you were a lawful good character, you could become a chaotic evil character. And and if you were a paladin, you just lost your connection to your deity at that point. Star but, increase one of your ability scores by two up to a maximum of twenty four. See, that's obviously an awesome one. Oh, it's this. fantastic! Yeah. You so, know, but then there's the idiot, which the idiot is lose one d four plus one intelligence and draw another card. For a wizard, that could just be detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the my favorite podcasts to listen to, which is a D and D live or podcast, uh, is called Dungeons and Daddies. Highly recommend it. Anthony Birch is a major DM. He got the right cast of characters to play this. Uh, one of the characters who's an NPC lost their family, and so they seek out the deck of many things because it's one of the few cards, one of the few items in the world that is powerful enough to possibly bring back his family. And so, but there's so much danger to it that he finds ways to trick people into using the cards. And it can create such great chaos in your game. If you're a DM that is okay with going off the rails and just letting what happened happen, I highly suggest getting this card set. It looks amazing, and the new ones that I looked through for the Fates, they inspire more story than I think the Deck of Many Things do. The Deck yeah. of Many Things inspires something to happen in the moment. The Fates can put you on a quest, for sure. Right, yeah. And I mean, yeah. the box it comes in, it's gorgeous. So, I mean, you've got, this is probably about six or eight inches wide by about five inches tall is my guess. I, I've, I've gotten better with guessing my the, the number of inches that something is after starting to play Warhammer as much as I do. That makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. And it's like, I'm surprised you're not measuring it in millimeters. I'm not. I'm not. So a lot of a lot of that stuff is still actually like you take out your ruler and they've got it Americanized for us who are still on the <laughs> imperial system. Um, We're rubbish. We are we, rubbish. Oh, if if only we could get to a system that makes sense. But yeah, so you've got this this nice box here, and as you open it up, they've got two separate sections for the deck of many things and the deck of many fates. 
and they each have their own box, and each of those mini boxes in there has a different side of the the moth that's on the cover art. Um, it also, when you open up your, your rule set that comes with it, it tells you how to use it, um, gives you some hints and suggestions, and then as you open it fully, it does have a list of the cards, um, so you can keep those separate, or you can you can sort those out if you decided to put them together for a game. I'm just going to say that if you come in and pick up the Feywild supplement for D&D, it would make a lot of sense for at a carnival if there was some sort of tarot card reader or oh, card yes. game that accidentally Ooh. employed these cards and and really caused your players to sweat a bit. Oh yeah. my, John. That's yeah, rough. That's, ooh, that's an idea. But yeah. that is sadly not, oh, not sadly, that is not the only thing that we brought up today. Uh, yes. Because you've got something incredibly cute, and I wish that we were a video medium so that we could show this. It is. So, um, so this is something that all the other employees that like Pokemon have gotten me onto. Uh, this box says it is Pokemon Nakayoshi Friends. And what it has is it has, it's kind of done like a booster pack. And it has a little log, and depending on what to, you pull... Before we get into it, booster pack not in the sense that it is a card game. These are actually phys- physical miniatures. Yes, yes, physical miniatures. So kind of like whenever you get some of the, the miniatures for uh, the D&D sets. Yeah, like yeah. a blind box. Blind, blind box. box. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you know better... from looking at the outside of the box what could be in it, but you don't know which one you're going to get until you open it up. Exactly. Yeah, so this has six different options. There's... Uh, one that has a Pikachu and a Pichu on a log. Cuddling. Cuddling, just being super adorable. And you've got a cute little flower there. Um, I think these are Starly. I'm not as good with the, the newer sets. So there's three Starly on a log. There's one with a Wooloo and a Mareep on a log. There's one with three Dittos, uh, one with three Piplups, and one with three uh, Rowlets. Which it's I like know... the, but it's like the different evolutions cuddling with each other. Mm-hmm. Not always. So, like... The Rowlets are all together, you've got the Piplups together, and the Starlies are together. Um, Pichu and Pikachu are, are different evolutions, um, Yeah. and but I'm the, not sure what's going on with Dittos here. But the cool thing is, is they're, they're not only are they all cuddling together on top of the log, but you can actually attach all the logs together. So all the pieces of the logs actually are designed to fit together perfectly so you could have a full display of all the various ones if you were to get all six pieces. That's kind of fun, too. And and Jessica is only the most recent <laughs> Red Raccoon employee who has fallen prey to the, the uh, Pokemon sitting on a log miniatures because I came back from the day of play yesterday and... Grant had them, Alexis had them, and everybody had them, and there was a display sitting up above the cash register, and they had bought everything we had at the store. Luckily, Jesse bought two full displays because the employees got the first display. Jesse knows how weaves work. Yes. He, oh. he understands them yes. Oh, yes. at a deep level. Well, And this is, is, is not the only Pokemon collectible he found either. So They have these, the terrariums, too. Yep, and the dream ones, too, where they're all sleeping. So yes. they're like individual displays of various Pokemons, either living in a terrarium or dreaming in dream sleep ones. Is there a Pokemon lover in your life, listener? If there is, and you know that you're going to buy them a Christmas present at the end of the year, this is the time to come in the store, grab it, and hide it for a few months because they won't see it coming. Oh, these would be amazing stocking stuffers. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. For for the 
for the the young in your house or the young at heart. So, mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely me on the the list of things that I do um, for back in the olden days when we actually physically went into the office to work. My cubicle is absolutely covered in little toys like these. Um, so that's going to be an interesting thing. So let's see what we pull out. I know yeah. I'm hoping for the one that has the sheep because my reap is my absolute favorite. We're looking. We're looking. We're looking. Uh, I, I think that looks like a Pikachu. That does I'm not look like sad a Pikachu. For. I am not sad for. So we've got the log. We've got the flower. We've got a Pikachu and a Pichu. Um, I am not sad at all for this. Those are adorable. So, <laughs> the Pichu is asleep as he's yep. being, like, cuddled on. So yeah, so he can lean up this on is adorable. Pikachu. So, yep. This, I'm, I'm going to take some double-sided tape to put on the bottom of this log, and it is going to go live on my work-from-home monitor. <laughs> so that way I can always have Pikachu and Pichu watching over me next to my tiny... Uh, space marine that sits up there. The two worlds that really have been demanding to be together for oh, a long yeah. time. The, the Pokemon uh, Warhammer 40k right. crossover. I don't even <laughs> think the the space marines could find heresy within the Pokemon universe. It is it is too pure. It is. It they is. They seem to find heresy pure. pretty much everywhere. I, I know that that was yeah. a stretch. Yeah. I, I, but if somebody is now listening to this, they've heard about the deck of many things, of fates. They've heard about uh, Feywild. They've heard about this cute Pokemon set they can get, and they're like, I just need one more bush to get me in the store this week. What are some things that are going to be going on? How about the um, Goodman Games reprint of the Temple of Elemental Evil, the original one? So it's a two-book pack that it has all four modules that made up the original Temple of Elemental Evil reprints of them. It also includes almost, it's almost like a history guide of people writing essays about why the Temple of Elemental Evil was crucial to the development of D&D back in the day, Hmm. right? Because that would have been first edition stuff. And then when they do that, they always rewrite it to bring it forward. So now Temple of Elemental Evil is completely 5e compatible. So you can play it in fifth edition now. And it's two big books. It's a it's a two book slipcase set that we just got in. They 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 were delayed. I think they were supposed to be out in June, but well, we've talked about shipping issues. Right. They're delayed and they just got to the store this week finally and it's sitting there. I know Jeff immediately took a set home that day, right? Just unlike Je- or just like Jessica, um Jeff has his own predilections and there are some things that are simply too irresistible and he left with that book set when it came in. Yep. Not only at Red Raccoon are you going to find a hobby that you can be interested in, whether it's board gaming or role playing, but there's probably going to at least be one person working the store that you're going to get along with. <laughs> and it will have the exact same feelings you do. Yeah. Also in this week, we get the uh, Kickstarter version of Ankh came in too. So oh, excellent. That is a, also a Simon game as well. That one's one that I didn't really have strong feelings for, and Jeff just lost it. Like, oh my goodness, I must have this now. He's got a thing for those Egyptian, like, dungeon crawlers as well, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and the minis are just amazing, because that's what Simon does, right? They oh, make yeah. amazing minis, and the minis are amazing, and, and hopefully that, the, you know, he, he loves the gameplay, too. And, you know, he just a pretty good choice for board games, so he, that's kind of his shtick, right? So... Uh, so that came in this week. That'll be, that was big news for a bunch of people. And then the other big one that came in, um, since last time we recorded was Cora. And mm-hmm. I believe you got 
into that one. I did. I, w- I picked it up the day that we talked about it because I thought that I would get some bonus points with my wife, and I actually ended up enjoying it as well. Uh, for those of you that are, are not a bigger fan of point salads like my wife is, uh, it is still a very fun game, and there is a lot of intrigue in how you use your cards, and it's a lot more strategy than I expected uh, to come from the game, and, and a lot of elements that you can kind of choose to develop. So highly suggest that, highly suggest that. Yeah, so I mean, and I could, I don't want to kill everybody with the amount of time and everything too, but there's so many games that are coming in right now because this has been the big Gen Con push. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we forgot to talk about earlier, what's been going on in the store is last week, Pop-up Pop up Gen Con, right? And so um, we participated in that. That always happens the same time as Gen Con. And so we, Pop-Up Gen Con stores, uh, select stores are allowed to participate in that. And and publishers send us the games the same time they're revealing them at Gen Con. People can play demos in the store. And we had a, a good group of people. I think we ended up with 16 people playing in the store. Had a great time. Um, some of the games that came out of that were the, the Taco Bell card game. I saw that, yeah. Which Grant was like, I... I was skeptical, and we had an amazing time playing it. He's like, it's a silly, fun, quick-playing little party game about the Taco Bell employees. And he says, uh, he's like, if you enjoyed a game kind of like a taco cat goat cheese pizza, he's like, you're going to like this game. And so it was an unexpected hit from that came out of Pop-Up Gen Con. Um, uh, Gravwell Second Edition. Gravwell is one of my favorite games. It's an old school game, a Mensa Select game, and we sold out of it already. And now we're trying to get more. We, we got, you know, stores get early edition releases. And I knew that I loved the game, but I didn't realize how many other people did as well. We sold out of that one, and now we're, we're trying to get restocks. We're trying to get more for the original release when it comes out. So that one was a huge fit, hit as well. Um, and then the other one that was a, a big hit um, is not part of Pop-Up Gen Con, but we added it in right at the last second because a couple of uh, a couple of the games that were supposed to show up didn't make it with all the shipping issues, which was Nemesis. Nemesis, oh. a big, chunky, miniatures-based game again. And everybody that has played it says that it is a better representation of Aliens than the actual Aliens miniatures game was. Or And so the interesting thing about Nemesis 2 is um, the, the base game is Aliens, but you can buy expansion packs, and one of the expansion packs then turns Nemesis into Event Horizon, if you remember that movie with Sam Neill from the yep. uh, late 90s, right? Yep. Um, you know, Sam Neill was on a tear there for a while with some amazing games. So there's another pack that turns it into Dead Space, if you based on the, the the video game Dead Space. And so it's interesting that they've been able to take this a base set of space mechanics and turn it into other genre, movies from the science fiction genre, space genre as well. So um, yeah, space they, horror is a favorite thing of mine. Space horror, yes, and and the the group had an amazing time playing that as well. So that was a was another standout for Pop Up Gen Con. So I think I've talked we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'll say it again. One of my favorite parts of Nemesis is that not only are you trying to stay alive on the ship and working with your crewmates, and each person has their own individual skills, and it, again you walk away with that story, but there are roles, secret roles within the game that give you different mission parameters. So everybody else might be just trying to survive and get back to Earth or try to kill all the aliens, whereas maybe my role is 
I don't want the aliens to ever get close to Earth. And so you can actually go to the cockpit and change the where the course. Like I could pilot us into the sun, but it's a hidden element. And so my other players don't know. Yeah, and, and Nemesis has been out for a year yes. at this point, but Grant just got his hands on it, and he was one of our educators and teachers for Pop-Up Gen Con, and Grant has been loving it, and he is evangelizing the word of Nemesis right now. It, it's up there with Cthulhu Death May Die, I think. It's not I, number, still number one, but Nemesis is definitely within the top seven yeah. of my games See, out right now. That's getting me more into the, this is something I want to pick you up. You do, you do. So, yeah, cause like Grant my... will wax poetic if you ask him. Oh, yeah, and, and that's my, not uh, something that Grant is known for waxing is poet poetry, right? <laughs> well, I just got to finish that sentence real fast. So, uh, I, I'll make sure to really shorten that up in the edit. Uh, maybe we can have Grant on next time, and we can talk a little bit more about Nemesis. But we are coming to the close of this episode. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. Again, if you ever have any questions about what we've talked about in the podcast or for the store, it is info at redraccoongames.com. If you want to talk directly to the podcast, just put podcast within the subject line. Uh, and thank you for giving us your time. And uh, yeah, just keep playing. That's what we're going to do. All Thanks, right. everybody. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>